Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in the study we're doing through the New Testament together. And uh, we are um, well into this. This is, I got the number here, part 198. Wow, we're almost to 200. That's cool. Uh, that represents a lot of Wednesdays getting together. And, um, and so we're, we're digging through, um, and, and you know, a chapter at a time, we're working through the New Testament. We're going to continue when we're done with the New Testament, working through the Old Testament, but we still probably got a year and a half to get there. Um, we, uh, I've been emphasizing to you the importance of looking at the Scripture in context. Um, because it's, it's very important um, that we spend time looking at the word, understanding why it was written, when it was written, to whom it was written. And, and, and certainly under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's all applicable, applicable to us today. But we want to make sure that we're not taking it so far out of the context to which it was written that we're making it say something it never intended to say. And so by hanging on to the context of how it was written and why it was written, it, it makes it much more understandable. Um, and we, we worked through the Gospels together and we worked through the book of Acts. At the end of the book of Acts, we were talking about Paul's missionary journeys. And so we left from there and we started working through Paul's letters together. Um, because uh, we understood it at that context from, from Paul having gone out and starting these churches and then writing back to these churches to help them with all the questions they had and all the issues they were dealing with along the way um, because it, the whole thing was new and, and there was a lot of questions. And... Uh, People were doing, you know, what people do. Uh, and so Paul was, was telling the church how to respond. A lot of that stuff is still going on today, which is why the book is so applicable to us and why the letters still work. But we do want to make sure that we're holding it in that context as we look at it together. Um, now, we just finished First and Second Timothy, and these three letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, are... Um, Pretty much what, what Paul finished up his, the part of his writing ministry with. Um, we looked at 2 Timothy last, just because it followed 1 Timothy kind of nicely. But really, 2 Timothy was the last of the things that Paul wrote. So we're going to look at Titus now, um, even though it wasn't his last letter. But he wrote this letter, Paul did, to Titus in between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And... Um, Titus was a Greek um, by um, uh, birth. Uh, he traveled with Paul extensively in the course of his ministry. We've seen his name uh, often uh, in encounters throughout the book of Acts and also in, uh, in the letters that Paul wrote. Um, tradition, is tradition now, tradition says that after Paul was released from prison in Rome, before his second and final imprisonment, remember he was under house arrest and then he was under a different sort of arrest there towards the end when things were really bad. Um, tradition has it that he and Titus went on a journey and they stopped in Crete um, and, and when it was time for Paul to go back to deal with what was happening in Rome, he left Titus there to help oversee the churches that had been started there. That had been there, um, um, they think that... Um, the, the island of Crete was a very small island, but it had a strong Jewish population and that the, um, um, at Pentecost there would have been some Jewish believers from Crete there who went back and actually started those churches. But they needed a lot of oversight because um, Crete was a, another one of those places that had a lot of pagan influence. And, and um, 
a uh, very small island in the Mediterranean Sea. And if you've, you've probably heard of Crete before, because the people on Crete are called Cretans. And you may have heard that term tossed around in the past. And there's a reason why you've heard the term Cretan. Have you ever called somebody, will you Cretan? Or you've been called one yourself, maybe. Um, the reason comes, believe it or not, out of verse 12, where Paul um, quotes a philosopher. I love that about Paul. He knew the philosophers, and he knew the philosophers on Crete, even. Um, verse 12, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. That was one of the Cretans writing about his people. So, um, uh, and Paul happens to quote that. Um, and it was actually from a poem by Epimenides, who was a poet and philosopher um, who had lived in, in, uh, in Crete 600 um, years prior to this, 600 years before Christ. And so um, Cretans had sort of a bad reputation for lying. And Paul actually uses this familiar phrase, the one that I just told you about, to make a point how, to Titus about how important it was that his ministry was there and his leadership was there because he was dealing with some, some difficult people. And, uh, and so that's, that's how that ministry is sort of set up. But I, I like that fact about that quote. And if you've ever called someone a Cretan, that's why. That, or if you've been called one, there you have it. And uh, uh, it comes right there out of the book. So um, with that in mind, let's uh, dig in. Only 16 verses in uh, the first chapter, and I'll just take a few moments to talk about it with you, and then we'll have some time for prayer, and we'll, we'll close this evening. Titus chapter 1, 16 verses. I'll start in verse 1. I'll be reading out of the NIV. That's what's on your notes. Whatever translation you have is great. Um, and uh, here we go. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced, because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, so that they will be sound in the faith, and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. 
and blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so there was a few things I wanted to talk about out of Titus chapter 1. Um, the first four verses, I think what Paul gives us there is, is um, a sort of statement about what he believes his purpose and mission are, kind of a, a, a Pauline mission statement. And um, what he says is that telling people about Jesus so that they can put their faith in him, uh, teaching them the knowledge of the truth so that they can live by doing the next right thing, um, which will result then in people living godly lives. This was sort of what Paul understood his mission to be, that he needed to tell people about Jesus so they could put their faith in him, um, that they could learn the knowledge of the truth that we have in him, and, and they could begin to live by doing the next right thing, which we talk about, which results in people living godly lives. And, and so that's a great sort of mission and purpose concept for all of us. Um, we need to be ready and willing to share our faith, to speak the truth in love, and then to live by trying to do the next right thing, which you've heard me say, if you've been here every week forever. Uh, that this is what we're supposed to be doing. We don't do it perfectly, but this is what we're shooting at. We're, we're trying to live by doing the next right thing. Um, and, and that in this, as we live this way, um, opportunities open for us to um, encourage other people and to love them well and, and then hopefully um, have open doors to tell them about Jesus. Um, so that they can come to know him as well. That this is all part of the process. And that as they come to know Jesus, then the, the truth of his word starts to um, be revealed to them, which impacts the way that they live. And then they begin to live for him by doing the next right thing. And then opportunities open up for them to tell people about Jesus. And there you go. And that's what happens. Remember, that's how it's supposed to work. And that's what's been going on now for these last 2,000 years. That's why the church is still here today. People were willing to um, tell people, other people about Jesus and the truth, teach them the truth and, and encourage them on how to live. And that process has continued throughout. And I love that. I, I always get stopped when I start thinking about how this thing has continued on, how, how connected we are to the church that's gone before us. And, and until Jesus comes back, that, that the, the church will continue on after us because we continue to do what needs to happen and to be a part of that story to me is always amazing i'm i love that whole thing and and you know that that as the church now um we're able to do uh the church has gone on before us that is with jesus already they're there uh, in worship around the throne and doing all this stuff that we look forward to um, and we get to touch on that here. But we're doing something that the church has gone on before us can no longer do, and that's mission. We're still telling people about Jesus so that they can join us and, and the church has gone on before us. And so, um, you know, that's our, our focus. That's our heart. That's our part. And, and uh, um, I just think it's cool that, that we're a part of this, this great story that goes on and on and on in Christ. Then in verses 5 through 9, um, Titus is there, like I said, in the church. It's been established for a while, but it's spreading and, and new um, congregations are forming and, and taking place as the word continues to spread. And um, there needs to be elders appointed in all these places. And so Paul saw that need when he was there and he tells Titus, look, stay here and, and, uh, and appoint elders. And he gives them the qualifications. You think about um, 
when Paul was planting churches. You know, he would go into a place um, and, and they would start, um, the, the Lord would show up and, and things would start to happen and, and they would start to um, start planting these churches. Paul would throughout his thing. And then oftentimes he wouldn't be able to stay. He'd have to go. And, and in some of these places, it was so new, there really wasn't an established group of leaders yet. Um, there, there wasn't, you know, people that had been to Bible school and, and uh, all ready to go and, you know, plugged in and you couldn't, you know, call up and say, hey, send us some, somebody, would you? Um, they didn't there. So in the early church, what had to happen was these guys would go in and um, uh, they would uh, often have to leave and sort of let the group continue with whatever nuggets of truth they'd been given in Christ and the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit to help them in their, in their first steps. But, but then what would happen is in those groups, um, the elders would begin to, to show up. I mean, they would, they would just sort of begin to rise up out of the congregation. That's what God does. He would, out of those assembled, the, the, the people that were to lead would begin to show up. And they needed to be appointed carefully. And, and so Paul says, look, these are the qualifications you're looking for in these guys um, and, and, and gals. These, this is what you're looking for in the process. And um, when you read through those qualifications... Um, what always fascinates me is that most of them um, have way more to do with character than skill. Uh, because, see, the, the heart of this thing is um, that, that we're to be living this thing out. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to live it out. And, and living it out by far has more impact, I believe, than things that you say. If what you say and what you live don't match, then people don't listen to what you say. If what you live matches what you say, even if you don't say it very well, people take notice of that. And so, so it's, it's far more important to live this thing right than it is to, you know, be a great um, orator. Paul used to say, you know what, these guys, these false teachers speak way better than I do. I know that. But they ain't living it. And, uh, and that would, that's the difference that matters. So, um, uh, this is part of the process. Living like we're talking about makes a huge impact on the kingdom. He also says something in verse 8 that is very important to us as a church. He talks about the importance of being hospitable. And uh, we talk about that concept a lot here in the idea of a radical hospitality. Um, and, and so um, we really do try here to go out of our way to be hospitable. That's why there's always a meal. Um, that's why there's always good coffee. That's why there's, um, you know, hopefully people here with a smile and, and uh, that we welcome people well. Um, because, you know, in, in our culture um, today, so many people struggle with loneliness, um, which is a byproduct of the self-focused culture that we have, um, that, that one of the ways that we can really show people that we care is to um, be hospitable, to be welcoming, to, to go out of our way to make a difference, to, you know, um, we really don't want people just to kind of walk in and walk out and not be impacted by something, you know, hopefully by a, a, a hello and a, and, a, and a greeting, although that doesn't always happen, but, but by an offer to have food, to sit down, to have a good cup of coffee, to, you know, spend time hanging out, and, and that this, um, this thing goes a long way. And, and so it's a, it's a big part of what I think the church is supposed to be, a place where, where people can come and feel connected to God and to others in the process. Um, then in verses 10 um, and, and 12 through 12, um, Paul warns again about false teachers. Just as he had in First and Second Timothy, he, he warns Titus the same thing. And um, 
why it's so important that we do spend time um, reading the Bible and why we study the Bible and, and what a difference it makes um, that we have to know this book because it's our defense against being swayed by false teaching. Um, everything should check out in the book and against the book in context. And if it doesn't, then we need to go, wait, wait, there's something that doesn't quite line up there. And so we need to be careful. Uh, and, and remember, you know, we have an en- enemy who will twist this thing just a little bit and make it not right. And we've seen him do it over and over again. So we need to continue to dig in. Dig in and you know, I want to encourage you again, find a way to connect the Bible every day in your life. Whatever it looks like. Find some sort of way to spend you know, five minutes, whatever, reading the book. Because um, it'll change your life. I, I don't know how to make that more of a point than I've been making it. It will change your life. It's, it's where we sort of get things figured out. And the Spirit of God uses what's in this book to change us, to speak to us, to help us to see how we're supposed to live. And, and you know, whenever there's a discussion between this book, the way this book views things and the way culture views things, always trust the book. The culture changes. The book remains the same. So spend time in the book every day. And then there at the end, the last few verses, um, he talks about perspective a little bit. How do you see the world around you? And, um, um, you know, um, all good or all evil. Um, and, and I think um, what we need to do is always try and have a, a throne room perspective. Um, we always want to be... Uh, asking God to help us to see things the way that he does. Um, God looks at situations, um, you know, and he's never panicked because he's God. And, um, and so, you know, he, he, circumstances don't throw him off the way that they throw us off. Um, when he looks at people, and we talked about this, and we'll talk about this more this Sunday, um, he sees the beauty of their potential. I love that so much. I'm so thankful that that's how God sees us. Not, not stuck in a label about how, what a mess we are, but he, he sees past that into the into our hearts and into the potential we have uh in in him and and this is how we need to view you know uh, that kind of perspective i always think about it lord what does this look like from the throne room and 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 so we can sort of step back just a bit from the anxiety of the world around us the fear that's you know everywhere in the culture and and trust in lord and then you know god how, how can we move into this situation how can how can we be your church in the midst of whatever's going on in the world, and what does that look like for you? And, um, and you know, and, and the idea of, of thinking about, again, every day, what you're thankful for, instead of getting consumed by what it is that you don't have uh, and, and getting stuck there, that all those things shape our perspective on a day-to-day basis. And, and so, uh, you know, always be looking uh, to, uh, always be asking God to help you to see the way that he does. I do this one of my daily prayers. I just want to see this thing the way you do. And I want to see people the way you do. And I just want to find life in you and trust in you. And so that's kind of how um, Titus starts out. And that's enough for for the first chapter. We'll, we'll pick it up there again uh, next week. We'll, we'll dig into some more. Um, but that's good for tonight. If you're watching by video or on television, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We appreciate it very, very much. Um, visit us when you can here at the Vineyard. Um, if you want prayer, go to the website at keysvineyard.com and there's a prayer page there. Just shoot us a prayer request or call us and we'll be praying for you and we hope to see you soon.